I just want to say to our graduates, I know I, I'm going to be like that preacher who said, uh, before I preach, I want to say something. Um, and I just want to say to our graduates here, and I know you've listened to valedictorian speeches and motivational speeches till you're blue in the face, but this is the important one. I want to say to all the graduates, I want to remind us that as disciples of Jesus, we go to school, we study, we try to learn not just to make more money. See, if you listen to what the world says, they're going to say you should get a degree, you should go to school, you should learn, you should study, you should discipline the life of the mind in order to earn more money. In fact, that's how we promote it. In fact, have you ever seen any of these ads, you got to learn to earn? You ever seen that? Or, or, or something like uh, for a while, the Kentucky Higher Education, whatever it is, they had this thing called Get Education, It Pays. And, and the message of those things are, is the reason you ought to Discipline your mind so you can make more money. And of course, we want you to make more money, okay? Please go make money. We're happy about that. And don't forget to tithe. So I pray for you. Uh, so that, that's good. But, but that's not, as Christians, that's not our primary motivation to study. See, we as disciples of Jesus, we study, we dis- discipline our minds so that we can glorify God with our minds. So we can love Jesus with our minds. Jesus was once asked, what's the greatest commandment? Remember what his answer was? Here's the, here's the most important, this is number one, this is the greatest commandment, most important thing in the world, love God. With all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. He said, love God with your mind. And we sometimes think that, okay, well, Jesus wants my heart, but the world needs our minds. And actually, Jesus says, no, I want you. All of you, every part of you, because he's Lord. And, and, and when we say Jesus is Lord, that means he's, he owns everything. Every part of you. Abraham Kuyper once said it this way, there is no part of creation or of your life, there is not one square inch over which Jesus does not say, that is mine. It all belongs to him. And C.S. Lewis said it even better, as you imagined he might have. He said it this way, God is no fonder of intellectual slackers than any other slackers. If you're thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you, you're embarking on something which is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. Well, because he wants everything. The Apostle Paul put it this way, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. So, I want to say to the graduates... Uh, great job, and listen, we need your A-game. We need your A-game. Man, you, you, you've gotten to a milestone, but it's a milestone not to just celebrate the past, but to project you into the future to work in God's kingdom. And we need your A-game. See, since, since you started school, I've officiated a bunch of funerals. Some of you started school four years ago, and in these four years, I've done more funerals than the rest of the years I've been in pastoral ministry, doing funerals for people who died of cancer, for people who died of COVID, and other things. And what we need is for some of you to be the researchers that are going to come up with a way to kick cancer's butt. Because I believe with all my heart that cancer and COVID are products of hell. And as kingdom people... We, we should be doing stuff like that, glorifying God with our mind, right, uh, in our political system. I think you'd probably all agree with me, we need some godly men and women in politics, right? We need some kingdom people doing that kind of stuff. We need in our justice system. 
We need godly police officers. We need, I started to say we need more attorneys. I don't think we need more attorneys. We just need godly attorneys. That's what we need. So, uh, you know, and, and so, so, you know, we, we have, I don't know, three or four people in law school right now, uh, one that just finished, and I think that's pretty awesome. We're going to raise up some godly attorneys in the business arena, in the education arena, here at church. We need to all be loving God with everything we have, including our mind. One of my heroes, and I have a bunch of heroes, but one of my heroes of church history is a guy named John Wesley. And John Wesley went to Oxford. He was educated at Oxford. He got multiple degrees from Oxford, Christ Church, Oxford. Um, uh, and so he had a great mind. But on one occasion, he's at this place called Aldersgate. And as Aldersgate, they're reading the preface to the commentary on Romans by Martin Luther. And he has this experience with the Holy Spirit. And he says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And he had this powerful experience of the Spirit. So here's what we want. Oxford mind, Aldersgate heart. Both of them on fire for Jesus. In love with Jesus, right? So I just wanted to say that to the graduates. Now, go change the world. But please wait till after the service. So now we're going to continue our worship. We got an announcement video uh, they want to show to you. And those of you who want to bring your offering while this video is going, we invite you to do that. Let me just bless it. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God and you provide for us. You take care of every one of our needs. Lord, I ask that you would bless this offering, multiply it, use it for your glory, we pray. And Lord, as we open the scriptures today, let it come alive to us. Oh, Jesus, we recognize that we are submitted to your word. We don't stand over your word. We stand under your word. Uh, so change us. Transform us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, New Life. I'm Chiquita Webster, and here's what's happening this week. This school is out, and that means it's time for our kids and students to have some fun. First, VBS is happening in just one week from tomorrow. This is going to be an amazing event for our kids who have completed K through sixth grade. If you haven't already registered your child, please visit our website and look under events to do so. We are also still in need of a few more volunteers to help make VBS run smoothly. So if you're able to help out during the day, please see Ruth Holer in the kids' welcome area immediately after church today. Next, our high school students are having a yard sale fundraiser for their mission trip to Wilmington, Delaware, this Saturday, June 12th. You can help in two ways. First, by donating items to be sold, and second, by coming this Saturday to buy those items. All the details can be found on our website under the events tab. Have a great week. One of the things that Marlene and I like to do is uh, shop for clothes for her. It's, it's, it's really fun. I, I actually really do. I actually really do enjoy it. I really love it when she tells me, okay, this is what I'm looking for. I want this color. I'm kind of looking for this. Because now I'm on a mission. I'm, I'm like hunting and gathering. I, I, you know, and I'm picking out options. What do you think about this? You know, I, I, we really have a good time. Well, a few months ago, we were trying to find a, a dress for a particular event. Um, <laughs> That, that we were going to be a part of, and uh, we were out at Macy's, and she was going to, uh, we picked out a couple things, she was going to try them on, and while she was in the dressing room, I was outside uh, the dressing room walking around, you know, kind of aimlessly wandering, and, and I ran into this lady who was on the phone, and I overheard part of her conversation, and in this conversation, she's giving somebody what for. She's letting them have it. You selfish son of a, I mean, it's like she's lighting them up in very articulate and creative ways. 
And so I'm thinking to myself, I probably shouldn't be over, you know, eavesdropping probably. But it's like a train wreck. I couldn't help it. I just had to hear what was. So I acted like I was looking at dresses that weren't even her size and, you know, that were terrible dresses. Actually, I'm like, oh, look at that, you know. And I'm listening to this lady go off on somebody. The problem is I'm only hearing one half of the conversation. I'm only hearing what she's saying. I'm not hearing what whoever on the other side is saying. But if you listen long enough, you can figure some stuff out. So I listened, and, and as I, and it came, I figured it, she was talking to her husband. And I'm thinking, what did this cat do? Did he, did, did he kill somebody? Did, you know, did he take their uh, retirement fund and go to Vegas and gamble it away? Had he drunk a lot? I mean, what, what did he do? Turns out, none of that, something worse. He forgot her birthday. Right? And I'm thinking to myself, that's a rookie mistake, bro. I wanted to get the phone from her and say, that's a rookie mistake. I didn't do that, though. Uh, today we're beginning a new series in a book of the Bible called Galatians. And, and we're going to open this up. And there's some real similarities to that scenario I just told you. When you open up the book of Galatians, you're hearing one side of a very emotional argument. Okay? I mean white hot emotion. There are some things in the book of Galatians that I'm not going to talk about this morning because it's first Sunday and the kids are in here. And I don't want you to have to explain stuff you're not ready to explain yet. Okay, there's some emotion, there's some stuff in Galatians that will make you feel uncomfortable, especially if you're a man. I'm just going to leave it at that, okay? It's going to, you're going to be, a, and basically what you're going to hear is, is the Apostle Paul is yelling at some people. And at first, because you're only hearing part of the conversation, you're going to go, what's happening here? But if you'll stay with it long enough. If you'll keep listening, if you will dwell with the text long enough, you'll be able to figure it out and it will reveal an incredibly beautiful picture of the gospel that will take your breath away and will set you free. So here's the context of Galatians. The earliest believers, you remember, uh, were in the Christian movement were Jews in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, a couple weeks ago, we talked about that. There were all these Jews in Jerusalem for Pentecost Sunday, and they became followers of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, right? They believed that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah that was to come. And so then Paul and other people went on these missionary trips. And in Acts 13 and 14, they went to this province called Galatia, and many Gentiles started following Jesus in Galatia, right? That's just kind of why it was happening. In fact, uh, by the time you get to the end of Paul's first missionary journey, there are just as many non-Jewish believers in Jesus as there are Jewish believers in Jesus. In fact, depending on who you read here, maybe way more non-Jewish believers in Jesus, okay? And these non-Jewish believers in Jesus, they were experiencing the forgiveness that comes from Jesus. Man, they were experiencing the freedom. They were experiencing the joy of the Lord, the fullness of the Spirit. And right in the middle of that, some Messianic Jewish believers who love Jesus, and remember, we only have one half of the conversation here, got to be careful, they came and told these Gentile Christians in Galatia that they had to follow Torah, or the Old Testament law of Moses, Right? They said, you have to, in other words, you got to become a Jew to become a Christian. You've got, you, you, you got to follow the law in order to be a disciple of Jesus. Primarily, three things about the law, circumcision, dietary laws, like eating kosher, and observing the Sabbath. And when these Galatian Christians who had, who had come to Jesus under Paul's apostleship, they said, well, Paul never told us that. The Messianic Jewish followers of Jesus apparently said something to the effect of, well, Paul's not an official apostle. 
He wasn't one of the 12, okay? And here's what he's doing. He's dumbing down the faith to make it easier for you Gentiles to get in, but that isn't right. And then they pulled out a knife and said, you need to be circumcised. And the Gentile men said, I didn't sign up for that. Actually, they said, I didn't sign up for that. Like, that's... So what's happening here is they are questioning the validity and the authority of Paul as an apostle, and they're questioning the validity and the authority of the gospel he preached. And here's what the fruit of it was. They were dividing the family of God. And Paul then responds quickly and decisively with white-hot emotion. I mean, he is angry, and it's razor-sharp logic to make it clear who he was, who they were, and what the gospel really was. I'm telling you, nothing could be more applicable to us today. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 1. Galatians 1, verse 1. And while you're doing that, I want to answer a question while you're looking. And the question is this. Okay, okay, Tim, why are we studying Galatians this summer? Why Galatians? Why now? Why, why is this debate that happened 2,000 years ago between Jewish Christians and, and Gentile Christians? How do, why in the world would we study that this summer? Well, let me give you a few answers. I'm so glad you've asked that question. Uh, Answer number one is the most basic and overlooked reason is that we are a Bible-believing church. That means we believe the Bible is true, and not just true in the way a phone book is true, okay? True in a way that is practical and relevant and will change your life. And we believe that because the Bible is inspired by God, that when you open the Bible and you read the Bible, you are hearing God's voice. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16 says it this way, all scripture, all, not just some of it, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All of it is useful for training so that, here's the reason why, the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We want you to be thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has for you. So when, when we, here's what we believe, when the word of God is read, God's voice is heard. This is important for you to get this. That means that preaching is not a lecture, it's not a TED talk, it's not a motivational speech, it's not a valedictorian speech. It is saying what God says. It's proclaiming what God has done. That's my job. That's my job here this morning. It's to say what God says, proclaim what God has Done. To, to borrow an analogy from Francis Chan, I'm like an ER receptionist. You know, nobody goes to the ER to see the receptionist. You don't go to see, you go to see the doctor, right? I'm just the receptionist. You didn't come to hear me today. I hope you didn't come to hear me today because I got nothing for you unless, unless I can get you in to see the great physician. If I can get you alone in a room with him, he can diagnose what's going on because, see, some of you think, you think your problem is, my problem is I got a problem with anger. And when you get in with the, the great physician, the great physician says, no, you, you, you're selfish. You need the gospel. Or, or, or you've got a broken heart and you need healing. That's, that's the real issue. See, you might think the symptom is the problem. The symptom is just a symptom of something that's deeper. And if you get in with the great physician, he can see through all the lies that you believe, all the lies you've told yourself and other people have told you, and he can heal bodies and minds and marriages and hearts and emotions. and fr- He can heal it all. Listen, everyone who ever gets into this pulpit is just an ER receptionist. Even, you know, we got Dr. Tony Evans is coming in, in September. Did I, have we mentioned this? 
maybe not later. Dr. Tony Evans is coming in September. We got some other stuff happening in September too. But we, we're in September, Dr. Tony Evans is coming. And, and when he comes, he's a great ER receptionist, but he's an ER receptionist. He's an eloquent one. He got some great stories, great illustrations. He preaches the word with power. But you know what he is? At the end of the day, he's an ER receptionist. And all too often, sadly, in the church in America, you know what we've been doing? We've been going to see the receptionist. We have these celebrity pastors that we've become fans of on Facebook and YouTube. And we've settled for seeing the receptionist instead of getting alone in a room with the great physician. And when that happens, when that happens, when we're just meeting with the receptionist and things don't go our way and the heat gets turned up and persecution comes, you know what we do? Blame the receptionist. I haven't been healed. I haven't grown. I haven't really grown lately. And, 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 and the whole time you never got in the room with the great physician and, the, and you blame the receptionist and the whole time he's been standing up there going, I need to get you in the room with the doctor. Because if I can get you in a room alone with the great physician, extraordinary things can happen. Extraordinary things can happen. So in this series, as we go through Galatians, we're, we're going to publish every week the text for the next Sunday, okay? And so I'm inviting you to get alone in a room with the great physician with his word and in preparation for the upcoming Sunday to, to read that text, which is going to be preached. Every week, you'll know ahead of time what text we're going to be doing in Galatians. I would invite you to sit down this week and read the whole book straight through. It's the best thing you can do when you're reading a letter. Read it straight through this week and come back next week ready to go. And if you like, uh, uh, there's a, a website, uh, The Bible Project, has some really good introduction videos. And there's a nine-minute introduction to the book of Galatians. Uh, it's also on YouTube. I would just invite you to maybe take a look at that before next week. So why Galatians? Because number one, we're a Bible-believing church, and we want to connect you to God through his word. But beyond that, more specifically, the world in which we find ourselves today is deeply fractured. Have you noticed this? Deeply divided, even in the church. And often the reason we're so divided is that we tried to unify around the wrong things or the wrong people. We tried to be united around politics or we tried to be united around this preacher. Or we tried to be united around uh, this movement or whatever it is. And, and, and when you build your unity around anything other than Jesus and the gospel, as soon as the heat gets turned up, your false unity gets revealed for what it was, which wasn't any unity at all. And so Galatians is calling us to unify around the gospel of Jesus Christ as Lord. In fact, here's the big idea of the whole book of Galatians. In a sentence, uh, the gospel of Jesus sets us free to be the new multi-ethnic family of God transformed by the Spirit. That's what's happening in the book of Galatians. It's about the gospel. It's about how the gospel of Jesus sets us free, and it sets us free to be this new family of God that includes Gentiles and Jews both in one family. And we're transformed by the Holy Spirit. So corporately, we need to build our unity around what is core, what is primary, Jesus and the gospel and his word. And that's why we're studying Galatians. But on a more individual level, even more personal than that. Recently, as I've talked to people about where they are in their walk with the Lord, uh, I've talked to a lot of people who are bound by a lot of different things. And I know there's many of you who are really wrestling with, with, with a besetting sin or you're struggling with something in your life. You see a lack of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. 
I know there's some of you, it's like you read, the, you get to Galatians 5 and it's going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. When you're full of and walking in the Spirit, here's the stuff that just comes out. Stuff like love. And the truth for some people is the fruit of their life isn't love, it's criticism. And you may try, well, I'm going to try to not be critical and to love. And that's not how it works. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And for some of you, you just sense a lack of joy, you know? And listen, I've been there sometimes. I am there sometimes, you know. It's like some, some people are like Eeyore, Winnie the Pooh, you know. The sun is shining today, yeah, but it's supposed to rain tomorrow. And, and you try to just, well, okay, I just got to be positive, think positive. And that ain't how it works. It's a fruit of the Spirit. See, Jesus' will for your life is freedom. That's his will for your life. He wants you to be full of his spirit. He wants you to know the gospel and by the gospel be set free, be full of his spirit. And so that you're just overflowing with love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control. Yes, self-control is one of the fruit of the spirit. I won't be preaching that Sunday when we get to self-control. Okay. You don't believe? Galatians 5 verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Freedom is part of our calling. It's part of our, it's who we are as Christians. We're supposed to be set free. And so what Paul is doing in the book of Galatians, he's saying there's a correlation between your understanding of the gospel on one hand and your experience of freedom on the other. This is really important. There's a correlation between your understanding and living by the gospel on the one hand and the freedom that comes with it on the other. They actually go to, he even says more than that. He ties your believing the gospel to experiencing the miraculous move of the spirit in your life. He does. Chapter 3, verse 5, he asks the question as he's talking about, they're saying we got to follow the law. Uh, And he's asked the question, he says, um, does God give you his spirit? And work miracles among you? But how how could he say that? Because God was working miracles. There were miracles. He said, does he do that because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? In other other words, it is is believing the gospel that opens the door for the reception of the spirit and the experience of the miraculous. Would anybody be like interested in experiencing the miraculous? Raise, Raise your hand if you'd be like, I'd be open to that. I'd be open, you know, okay. So we're going to unpack this throughout the summer, okay? And I want you to know right from the start that my goal as we unpack this is more than just teaching the content of Galatians. I want to do more than that, okay? Here's my goal. I'm just going to show you my hand right at the beginning of the summer. My goal is, number one, that you love Jesus and his gospel more at the end of the summer than you do right now. I want you to learn some content, yes. But my goal is not just that you learn content. It's that you, man, you, we get to the end of the summer and you're going, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Jesus is awesome. That's what I want you to do. That's what I want to be the fruit of this. You just, you love Jesus more and his gospel more. And number two, my goal is, I want you to live in the freedom of the spirit and experience the fruit of the spirit like never before. And hear me very clearly. Let's be very clear about this. That's going to happen. Some of you are going to experience a freedom you never dreamed was even possible. Because you've gotten so used to living in bondage, you're used to it now. 
And, and, and when you understand the gospel more fully and you're set free, man, it's going to be like a weight off your back you didn't even know was there. Is anybody else excited about this? I, uh, like, I, I, if I'm too excited right now, I apologize. I, I, no, I don't. What am I saying? Um, I, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not apologizing for that. Let's look at the text. Some of you are going, that was the introduction? Oh, sweet Jesus. It's okay. It's okay. It was the introduction for the whole mu- summer, okay? Galatians chapter 1, we should start reading it, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Now look, right from the first sentence, number one, he gets the resurrection in there because everything in the world, the entire universe changed at the resurrection. Okay, it's important. First sentence. And then, before he even gets to that, he is affirming that he really is an apostle sent by God himself. This is hugely important when you read the rest of the book because he's going to argue that since he was an apostle sent by Jesus, the risen Lord himself, the gospel he preached didn't have its origin with him. It was God. And you could very easily apply that with this. Listen, the story of Jesus and his kingdom, you know, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and the fact that he's ruling and reigning from the throne, then Jesus is Lord, that whole story is true. Now, I know there's somebody, some people that I've interacted with, maybe they're watching online right now or who might be in here that I've interacted with, and you're really wrestling with that. Is this whole thing, is this whole thing true? Paul starts right from the beginning and says, you need to know, I didn't make this up. This came from God himself. The crucified, risen, exalted Jesus is the one who gave me this. So it's true. This really happened. And this life of freedom that comes from that, which seems too good to be true, it is true. Verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just stop right there for a second. Side note, in five verses, Paul's going to reference God as Father three times and Jesus multiple times as well. So you can kind of very quickly pick up with who Paul is into. Right? If I got up here and and for 30 minutes I didn't do anything but talk about Marlene, you would say, I think he's really into Marlene, right? Paul is talking talking about Jesus and the Father and Jesus and the Father and Jesus and the Father and Jesus and the Father. You see what's important. Grace and peace, he's blessing them to you, our God and Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, this is powerful, and that's as far as we're going to get today, because we need to unpack that a little bit. Look at verse 4 again. He says, grace and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Paul here is echoing something that Jesus himself taught, which was this. Nobody took his life. He gave it. He, He doesn't say here, Jesus was murdered. Although there's a sense in which that is true, the deeper truth is this. Nobody took his life. He gave it for us. Whoa. 
Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 18. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to what? Give his life as a ransom for many. And you say, well, why is this so important? Here's why this is so important. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us. Everyone in the world out there and everyone in here wants to be loved. We all, this is a human thing. We all want to be loved. We have a longing to be loved, truly, I mean truly loved, and we want to have a longing to be accepted. We want to be wanted by someone. In fact, some people want it so badly, they project these personas so that other people will think they're better than they really are. So because they're pretty sure if you really knew them, the real them, you wouldn't love them. And I'm saying them, but I should probably say us, shouldn't I? But here, in the gospel, there, there, there is a love the likes of which the world has never known. Jesus, who knows you to the bottom. Okay, what I mean by that is the, he knows that deepest, darkest secret that you don't want nobody else to know. You know the thing you, you would not want us to put up on the screen this morning about you? He knows you to the bottom and he gives himself for you. Somebody loves you that much. You've never been loved like this, not like this. Jesus gave himself for our sins. We, we, we sin, all of us sin. If you're a visitor here, you should just know this is one of the things we believe, that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There, there's nobody in here who earned their salvation. We've all sinned, and, and, and sin, the Bible says, it brought death into the world. It brought separation into the world, and God had every right to leave us in our sin. Every right. But he gives himself for us. <laughs> if this isn't moving you, I'm not doing a good job of communicating this, okay? This is a theme that goes all the way through Galatians, and it goes through the whole New Testament, and if you'll truly let it in, he gave himself for our sin. If you'll truly, and I don't mean you, you, you give intellectual assent to it. If you'll take it into your heart and find yourself in that sentence. He gave himself for our sin. If you'll take that in, not, not just as an intellectual statement, but that thing that forms your heart. Paul said it this way, that I might be found in Christ. If you would take that sentence and be found in that sentence. He gave himself for our sin. It will revolutionize your life if you'll find your identity in that, your acceptance, your approval in the fact that Jesus gave himself for you. If you'll find your worth and your value and your significance in that sentence that Jesus gave himself for me, it'll change your life. I need to share just a little a bit of my story on, on this with you. It, see, from, from a very small age, I believe the gospel. And I don't, honestly, I don't remember a time where I didn't love Jesus. I, I don't. I mean, I, I remember praying the sinner's prayer as a young person. But even before then, I just thought Jesus was awesome. I don't know how you can read anything about Jesus and not think he's pretty cool. Right? right? And terrifying at the same time. 
And so I don't ever remember not, I don't remember not loving him, but, but, but I, I prayed the sinner's prayer and I believed the gospel and I believe he gave himself for me. But you know what? At the same time, I had a false God because I really had this need for other people to approve of me. And, 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 and instead of getting my value, my worth, my significance from the fact that he gave himself for me, I would get it from, do you approve of me? Do you like me? Do you, do you, you know, and, and what happens is, if that's your God, whenever the idol gets, idols are violent, and whenever an idol gets challenged, you're devastated. So when I got critiqued, when I got criticized, when, when somebody disagreed with, God forbid, disagreed, because I'm right, I mean, hello. <laughs> when, whenever that would happen, I would be devastated. You know why? Because my God got challenged. But, but do you know what? Here's the truth. You know what I do now? I get all of my acceptance from him. He gave himself for me. Man, I don't need your approval. I got his approval. My value, my worth, my dignity, my significance, my, my identity is in the fact that he gave himself for me. So you know what I do every morning before I even get out of bed? Usually, sometimes I'm out in the shower when I do this, but sometimes before I even get out of bed, I got a whole list of scriptures of who God's word says I am. And, and I just got statements, and I, and I just say those statements. I, and sometimes I might, I, might, I, might state, I might say those ten times a day. Sometimes just one time in the morning, but sometimes I need to be reminded throughout the day, oh, no, 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 I get my significance from him. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this is, oh, yeah. And you might not like me, but, but it, you know, I, I want you to like me and stuff, but I don't need you to like me for me to be okay. You know why? He gave himself for me. He gave himself. So I, so I start off with the Lord loves me with an everlasting love. The Lord rejoices over me with singing and dancing. Because I trust in Jesus, I am holy and blameless in his sight. I am the apple of God's eye. I'm precious in God's sight. I, the Lord delights in me. Uh, because of Jesus, I am forgiven, perfected forever, and free from condemnation because of what Jesus did for me. Jesus will never leave me or forsake me. I'm his dear child. Now, all I just said, that's true about me. And you know what? If you know the Lord, it's true about you, whether you believe it or not. And if you don't believe it, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to try to find your identity in other things. Here's the deal, you guys. As long as I need your approval, I can't really love you. Because I'm always trying to get something from you. See, what is love? Love is doing the best for the other person. That's love. It's doing the best for the other person. And if I'm totally about me and trying to get what I want from you, I ain't loving you. I can't love you. But you know what? Now, guess what? I'm set free to love you. and Because you, you can't love people if you need people. You know what I mean by that, right? You can't, if, if I need your approval of me, I'm not free to really love you. But because of the gospel, guess what? I'm accepted. Why? Because he gave himself for me. <laughs> now, even if you don't like me, guess what? I'm free to love you. And you know what? That sets you free because it's exhausting trying to please everybody. Man, I had to go on a sabbatical. Man, wife, you exhaust you. Man, but you want to be free? Get, get your identity from him. Every morning, just get up and go, oh, guess what, God? You gave yourself for me. Wow, this is crazy. Man, I, I wanted other people's acceptance, but I got your acceptance. Why do I care about them? Now I'm free to love the way Jesus loved. How do you think Jesus did that? 
Jesus was perfectly secure in his relationship with the Father. He wasn't trying to get Peter's approval. I mean, you don't get people's approval by saying, get behind me, Satan. That ain't, it don't work that way. But he didn't have to because he was free. Is anybody hearing any of what I'm saying right here? Okay. Back to the text. Back to the text. Verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. To rescue us. The gospel isn't a self-improvement course. It's a rescue mission. Jesus wasn't primarily a teacher. He was a teacher, okay, but he was primarily a savior. Whenever anybody says to me, you know, I'm trying really hard to be a Christian, I instantly know you don't understand the gospel. Because that's not what, that's not the gospel. That's not what it, being a Christian, you don't, you, don't, you don't try to be a Christian. It's something he makes you. Right? You are rescued. And a lot of the leaders of the world's religions, they came to say, I'm going to teach you the way to God. I'm going to teach you the way to enlightenment or the way to nirvana or the way to deification or whatever. I'm going to teach you the way. Jesus didn't come and say that. Jesus said, I am the way. And he came to rescue. Because we just didn't need to be taught something. We need to be rescued because we can't save ourselves. It would be like, you know, we weren't here last weekend. Because we were in Virginia Beach because Elijah was proposing to Caroline. And, and it's very nice to have Caroline's mom, Shannon, with us here today. We're glad that you're here. And thank you for spending all your money. Um, uh, but we were down there, and he proposed on the beach down there. And I remember, you know, we were really excited about what was happening, but I remember looking longingly into the ocean, you know, like, I would love to get in the water. Now, just do this thought experiment with me. What if when we were down there, someone, for whatever reason, they were pulled out by the riptide, they just got in over their head or whatever, uh, uh, they, they were drowning. They're drowning, they're going down, and they're like screaming, help, help. And, and, and what if I ran over to the beach and said, hey, hold on, I got a book that says how to swim in 16 easy steps. I'm going to run to my car and get the book. I'm going to throw the book out to you, and you just read about how and learn how to swim. Yeah, that, that'd be, that'd be kind of crazy, right? I mean, because the, the person is drowning. When you're drowning, you don't need a book. You need a rope yeah. or a raft or something, a life jacket or, you know, life, you know what's the word? Life preserver, whatever. You, you, you need more than a book. You don't need teaching. You need to be rescued. And that's what Jesus did. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us. From what would be the question? What's he rescuing us from? Back to the text. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from what? From the present evil age. Now, lots of confusion and misunderstanding on this, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will help us uh, explain this in a simple way because it's super important. When I read that verse, to rescue us from the present evil age, what some of you heard was he's rescuing us from the material earth, this world we live in, so that we can go to heaven. That's what you heard. And we do believe in salvation. We preach that. We preach heaven. Okay, uh, 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 but that's not what this verse is talking about. Let me explain. 
Jewish expectation based on the prophets in the Old Testament, specifically the prophet Isaiah, but other prophets in the Old Testament, um, there was a view, a Jewish expectation that there would be two ages, two ages, and they were called the present age and the age to come. Okay, Jesus himself even used this language. He even affirmed in Matthew, what is it, 12, in chapters 12 and 13, he uses this again. He says, you know, he says things about this age and the one to come. Jesus affirmed that, okay? But here was the view that they had. This was the Jewish expectation. You're going to see a chart up here on the, on the board, on the, on the screen. Um, the present age was the age we're in now. Right? That was the view, and the idea was this is the age of sorrow and sadness and sickness and disease and death, but the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to take us up to the age to come. And the age to come, death is going to be no more. Sorrow and sadness are going to be wiped away forever, and justice and beauty are going to spring to life forever. That was the view. Okay, and, and if you read the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, it just, which just gave you a picture of what life was like in the first century, uh, uh, specifically, uh, they, the view was we're in the present age and Satan's loose in the present age, or Belial is what they said, is loose in the present age, but Messiah is going to come, he's going to be taken away, and we're going to have an age to come. That's the age to come. And all of that, this view was, would be at the end. This was an end times thing. But Paul, notice when he says he rescued us from this present evil age, what he's saying is the end times have invaded our times. The future has invaded the present. New creation has begun. And so here's a, another chart that shows you how it's actually what Paul is saying. This is really how it works. The present age that we're in is the age of suffering and sorrow and death and mourning and pain and all of that. But Jesus came, he died on the cross, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and when he did that and sent his spirit, the age to come began. Now, he's going to come back at the return of Jesus, and the old age is going to be over. And it's going to be all new, not new age, but the age to come. Everybody with me on this? So that, this is very important in all of Paul's thought, we live in a crossover overlapping of ages. We still live in the present age, but as disciples of Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit and power, we're supposed to be living according to the age to come. Okay? Is everybody with me? This is very important to get because we're living in this. Another way to say this is the kingdom of God has already been inaugurated, but not yet consummated. All right? The kingdom's already started. Jesus said the kingdom of God's here. Right? But he hasn't come back yet to bring the fullness of the kingdom where death and sorrow and sin and everything is erased. And so here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be living as kingdom people. As people of the age to come now, even though we still exist in the present age. What does that mean? We're supposed to be people who understand the gospel. We're supposed to be people who live in the freedom of the gospel. We're supposed to be people who are full of and led by and walking in the spirit. We're going to get to that in Galatians chapter 5. That's who we are. Paul believed and taught that through the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, and the sending of the Holy Spirit, that the age to come had already arrived and rescued us from the present evil age so that we can be the people of God now. Ooh. And all of that... Next verse, is according to the will of our God and Father. In other words, 
God planned this. God planned this. This this, this wasn't Paul's plan. This wasn't Paul's strategy. This was God planned this. And here's the truth. We've been rescued. We've been rescued. We've been redeemed. New new creation has begun. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Not he one day will be a new creation. He is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So, we're supposed to be living out that new identity, that new call in this present age. How in the world are we going to do that? How in the world are we going to live out in this evil present age according to the way that life in the kingdom is supposed to be in the age to come? How are we going to do that? Here's Paul's answer. The gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the book of Galatians. Man, I'm so excited about Galatians. I can hardly stand it. Because here's what we're going to experience this summer. The gospel, a new understanding of the gospel that you never had probably before, and the Spirit of God is going to transform us and empower us to be kingdom people in this present age. 